0: Fellowship with the Lord in the new covenant meal that he has given to us let us pray Abba Father we thank you in the grace of Christ and in his righteousness that we have fellowship with you in the Holy Spirit and Father we thank you profoundly and with joy in our hearts for the fellowship meal that Christ Jesus has desired to have with us Father, in his own words, he said, with desire have I desired to have this meal with you. Father, we pray that likewise, if you will give a longing to our heart, a desire to fellowship with him, and that we would have fulfillment and know the benefits of this meal that he has left us as the sign of the new covenant, as the title deed that we have, that we belong to him. Father, open to us by your spirit the truth of your word, that we may rejoice in this new covenant meal. And we ask you, in the righteousness of the one, Christ Jesus, to assure that our prayer is answered. We praise you in his precious name. Amen. Now afternoon I would like that we follow the notes very carefully so I'm going to stick quite closely to the printed text because this is a subject that's not dealt with very much and even in our reformed circles I think it's something that we have to trumpet because it has been done a lot in the past but is in our present day it is very seldom heard. For those who are maybe listening on tape, I would ask that you would get a copy of the notes, and if you want to email me at Bennett at juno.com, B-E-R-E-A-N-B-N-N-E-T-T at juno.com, you can get a copy of the notes. The introduction that I have at the beginning is, worshiping God at the very beginning of creation was that harmony that existed between the creator and the creature man. With Adam before the fall there was no restraints on this fellowship or relationship with the one commandment that he was not to eat of the forbidden fruit. And we know the outcome, there was the fall and Adam spiritually died. The fellowship was ended. God took the initiative, the pattern, the biblical pattern of true worship. God took the initiative of restoring this fellowship of creature to the creator that had been severed by Adam. It was simply by grace through faith. That's Genesis 3.15. That he gave the first gospel message, that I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That one was to come and defeat Satan, the message of grace, God's initiative from the beginning. And God also established the pattern, how this was to be done, how the restoration was to take place. We had the first, covering with the skin of the animals that required the slaying of the animals. was to be a type of foreshadowing of the blood of Christ by which we are covered in his righteousness as we are told in the scripture in Hebrews neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood. He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So what had been initiated and the pattern established was, is fulfilled in Christ. And God negatively showed and in taking the initiative, he debarred or outlawed any other type of find way to approach him. And we have examples of that in Cain, in his grain offering, Nadab and Abihu in the strange fire and the fig leaf of course of Adam and Eve in the first place these are all unacceptable ways to accept, to approach God it is only by grace through faith now justification is the basis for true worship we have to be justified that God has to be right with himself that the cross has to be vindicated in Christ before there can be any fellowship. Both in the Old and New Testaments, there's no communion with man and God possible except on the basis of conformity to God's specified requirements. He is the all-perfect, all-holy one, and to be fellowship with him, one must be accredited with perfect righteousness. We cannot come to him except in perfect righteousness. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father is perfect. To worship the Lord, how is it to be done? The scripture tells us a few times. I give one example here. The beauty of holiness. We have to worship God in the beauty of holiness. That is, we have to come in his own holiness. That is, we have to be credited with his holiness or his righteousness to stand before him. And so it's never possible in the believer's own holiness because his nature is always imperfect. And so the constant theme of the Old and New Testament is that it has to be declared righteousness, that there is one perfect that they look forward to and that we look back to. Isaiah said, Surely shall one say in the Lord, Have I righteousness and strength? He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. And the Old Testament saints trumpeted the same: their strength and their salvation. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day long. I will go in the strength of the Lord. I will make mention of thy righteousness. Thine only. The wonder of that Psalm 71. It's often where I go if I'm tired at night. I go to Psalm 71. I will make mention of thy righteousness, thine alone. Because that's the basis of all fellowship. It has to be in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. The awesomeness of it to me possibly the most awesome text in the whole of scripture is this one in Jeremiah Jeremiah 23 verse 6 this is the name by which he shall be called the Lord our righteousness the awesomeness that God's righteousness could be our righteousness the Lord our righteousness The basis of relationship whereby the believer may communicate with the Holy God is applied in scripture and we have that famous text in justified freely by his grace in Romans chapter 3. Through the redemption, the basis that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we stand accepted in the beloved, we have Fellowship with the Father and the Son, and we can dare call the all thrice holy one whose eyes are too pure to behold iniquity, we can call him Papa God, Abba Father. Why? Because we are covered with the righteousness of the One, and we have this intimate relationship through the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son. We turn now to page three of the notes whereby we come to what was foretold and what comes to place the new covenant spoken about in the old whereby we have real affectionate communication with God. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in Their hearts, I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. And knowing the biblical word know, it's intimate communication. Like Adam knew his wife. It's intimate relationship. It is knowing in the profound sense of affection, emotion, will, and communication. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. So the new covenant is basically, essentially this intercommunion that we have following on our being justified by grace through faith. And the legacy is the mediator has told us in his own word what the legacy is, what the eternal inheritance is. For he is the mediator of the New Testament by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament that we might receive what? The promise of the eternal inheritance. There's something going with this new covenant that we should be enthusiastic about an eternal inheritance, the intimate knowledge of the Father and the Son. This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Just as Moses in the Old Testament legally and formally declared, this is the blood of the Testament which God hath enjoyed on you. And then he sprinkled the people with the blood So the Lord declared, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do ye this for as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus' command in the institution of his supper is not simply in memory of, but it is in affectionate remembrance of. And if you go into the Greek... Animesis, you will see that the root of that very word is intimate communion with, not simply remembering. The Apostle Paul puts stress on the idea of togetherness in the Lord's Supper when he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which you break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The essential identity in the Lord's table cannot be literal, physical presence. And I will explain this later on as I deal with official Roman Catholicism. It cannot be, because that will be breaking scripture, would be scripture contradicting scripture. We will see that later on. It cannot be physical presence. But because we rule out physical presence does not mean that we rule out a real presence that is spiritual. And this is where I think some of our good reformed brethren have forgotten the scriptural real presence that is mentioned in scripture. In the New Jerusalem, when we reach the New Jerusalem, which we all look forward to, we know that we shall see him as he is and we'll have intimate communion face to face but we do already have intimate communion in this commemoration that is given to us we have intimate communion now in the sign of the new covenant now what is the basis for this at the end of page 3 the truth of the Lord's word, which he desires believers to have full confidence and assurance with, is given. We're told in scripture, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, that God, to make it abundantly clear and that we would have full assurance, confirms his word with a note. And so we have an example here in the institution of this sign at the... Last Supper. The Lord confirmed it legally. He said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. We saw just a little while ago why legally Moses did it. Now Christ Jesus legally makes the declaration that this is the New Testament. He is declaring legally that he belongs to you and to me. He belongs to the believers. Just as we have a marriage vow ceremony or you get a title to a deed of a car or a house or something, you get the legal handing over of possession. Here we have the legal institution of the sign of the new covenant. And it is confirmed, like the scripture says, with a note. So if something is serious, This is absolutely serious. The Lord is telling us this is the new covenant in His blood, quite clearly and emphatically. So we have here the title, the title deed, if you want to call it, to what the blessings of the new covenant are. And we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Do ye this as often as you drink it in remembrance for me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death till he comes. The purpose is given. Not only the reality, but the, the application is given in Scripture. The purpose. It is not merely remembrance. The purpose is to participate in the glorious giving of himself, to declare his death and the comfort and hope we have, to participate in the fruitfulness of. It is to proclaim this until he comes. And so we have the the writing on our heart, the very fruitfulness of what the Lord's supper is about proclaimed in Scripture. Sometimes after the fellowship meal, I long to say to people, how have you been fulfilled? How have you drawn from the Lord? What, what is your benefit? How have you drawn deeply from Him at this fellowship meal? And what will it mean as a difference now In your daily walk. Because that's what it says. The purpose is given. That we would proclaim his death. Until he comes. Now teaching by contrast. Is one of the things. That scripture excels. And I discovered this. Late in life. 48 going on 49. But man did I discover it. It's light and darkness. God teaches things by contrast. And here we have one of the most stark contrasts in the whole New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul forcefully teaches fellowship with the Lord in his supper by the stark contrast that was well known to them of spiritual contact with devils. The strong teaching is to outlaw fellowship with idols so that we would not dare to have fellowship with the devil. I would not that ye have fellowship with devils. And you you cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Now, I say that was well known to the men and women of the New Testament, and where I lived in the West Indies I was very conscious of fellowship with devils I had seen a lot of it I lived on an island similar to Haiti where they have voodoo I would seen with my own eyes and been present at fellowship with devils the Obia fellowship meals whereby they would get together when you go into the compound you dip your hand in blood of goats the beginning of the ritual and then you sit around bongo drums and you call up the spirits and you begin communing with the spirits and you see men and women and young boys and girls read on the ground like snakes and I had warned some of our young people when I was a parish priest just because of physically what I saw that you will go clean mad or you will die I've seen people at some of these fellowship meals and try to tell one of those young people that this is simply a remembrance of the devil, <laughs> it is not, it's, it's something very real. Very real. And that's what fellowship with the devils is. Something very real. And those of you who have been in the occult or saved from the occult or witchcraft know exactly what I'm talking about. It's very real. But now the scripture teaches in contrast. We are not to have fellowship with the devil. Why? Because we have fellowship with the Lord. And he's teaching fellowship with the Lord in stark contrast to fellowship with demons. We are to have communion with the Lord. It is concluded that we have communion with the blood of Christ. We have communion with our Lord. The Lord teaching through his word by stark contrast the real fellowship that we have in the Lord's table. And so the Lord himself said, with desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Likewise, with desire should we as believers desire to draw deeply from the Lord in the course of the communion service. And in this context it is true that those who are humble and contrite heart who come expecting to draw from the Lord will receive. If you come desiring to draw life from Him and to have fellowship with Him and to put particular things before Him as you commune with Him you shall receive because we are humble and contrite hearts. And we literally tremble at his word. If the Lord says this is communion with him, who am I to say it is not communion, it is simply remembrance? Who am I not to tremble at his word? Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled if you really desire to be filled at the Lord's table that he does the restrictions on true worship two of the ten commandments deal explicitly with worship well the third does also but not as emphatically as the first two but the the importance of seeing this. What is excluded in the first commandment, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, is any object or anything that is substituted for God is forbidden. There is only one God and one true God that we worship. The second commandment is the means, the practice by which if it is not by grace through faith, if it's some other means, bowing down to any image or any other medium, anything that God has not given is to be physically and absolutely rejected. It is we have only one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second commandment rules out all any other mediation believers are a spiritual house whereby we have fellowship with the lord and that is one of the four things that was laid out in acts 242 the gospel is a spiritual message of trusting in him and while the gospel comes first and the lord's table is secondary in that on that aspect one is based on the other our fellowship in the lord is because we have been convicted And that we are now covered in the righteousness of the one. On page six, I lay out from scripture the one sacrifice once offered. The Holy Spirit in the book of Hebrews makes it abundantly clear that there is just one offering that is said twice. There's now no more offering. There's one offering. And we're told that this one offering was once offered. And there the Holy Spirit gives us seven times the fact that the one offering was once. To nail it down precisely and absolutely clear that we have one sacrifice once offered. So, for example, the Apostle Paul teaches in that he died, he died unto sin once. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. The Apostle Peter, for Christ also had once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And that is seven times altogether and five more times in the book of Hebrews. And there is one sacrificial priest clear as the midday sun in contrast to the Levitical priesthood that was continuing because they were mortal men. We have one high priest now who is eternal and therefore his priesthood is unchangeable and untransferable. Surely there were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man because he continueth forever hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now, I read that even as a priest, and it really struck me. I read it in one of our best scripture scholars, Raymond Brown, in his book where he he got the scripture right. Untransferable, cannot be handed on. And um, I was devastated by it, because this is one of our Catholic scholars. Later on in the same book, he goes on to argue from tradition for well, the reason why we do have a sacrificial priesthood. But the scriptural reasons he gave were, were correct. Untransferable, the very Greek word of means cannot be handed down to anybody because it's unique. He alone has the qualifications for the one high priesthood. And therefore, he alone is the high priest in the new covenant the new testament and he freely laid down his life as he said in his own words I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again and I give there at the end of page 6 going into page 7 the qualifications holy harmless undefiled higher than the heavens who fulfills those is there anybody on earth who calls himself a priest Is anybody fulfills those criteria there's only one person. That resume is only only fills one the man, Christ Jesus. It fits only one higher than the heavens. The Lord Jesus is the sole sacrificial priest of the New Testament, and his work is, as he said, to it is finished, legally done. And has been wonderfully explained to us, the veil was torn from the top to the bottom, showing was God's work to the bottom. The Old Testament was finished. We now have the new. The summary of these truths are given that we now have a high priest who's seated at the right hand of the throne and the majesty in heaven, and that there in the presence he intercedes for me. And if we do love him we hear his word and he comes to abide with us. The false worship of the Roman Church and I think we've got to see this because we've got more people running into the woman who sits on the seven hills and it is, it is important that we see just exactly what Rome Says in her own official words I give an overview first the, since true righteousness is not available when you have a false gospel Rome has to manipulate or manufacture her own paraphernalia for worship and so she has devised an outward proclamation of her own false gospel which she does in what she calls the mass Uh, which she calls her depiction of the Last Supper and of the crucifixion of Christ. She claims in her Mass that she has the culmination of all worship, that it's the source and summit of all worship. And she says it's again the sacrifice of Calvary, and it's propitiatory. It is offered this day to appease the wrath of God. We see this in the actual words. Scripture says that he is King of kings and Lord of lords, And he is gloriously reigning. Turning to page 8, i begin with some of the official words. And I want to read and give you the exact words. I give in the footnotes where this can be found. Check any dictionary, whether it's from a Catholic university or any Catholic dictionary or any ordinary dictionary. Immolated means killed or sacrificed. So to say, our Lord is killed or sacrificed at their table. That's literally what they say. And they say it was for this immolation that this sacrifice was entrusted to the church. And of course they mean the Roman church. The same council endorsed many times Trent. And of course the New Catechism endorses Trent. What does Trent say that is endorsed modern times by the Catholic church? If anyone says that the sacrifice of the mass is one only of praise and thanksgiving or is a mere commemoration of the sacrifice consummated on the cross, but not a propitiatory one, and that the prophets only who receives and ought not to be offered for the living and the dead, for sins, punishment, satisfaction, and other necessities, let him be anathema that's eternally cursed or damned to hell. If you do not think that this this day in Austin where the priest had a table or an altar and he said he had Christ's body and blood that that's a real sacrifice. If you do not say it's a real sacrifice. You are to be condemned to hell. That's how serious the Catholic Church takes its teaching on a literal sacrifice at their table or their altar. Diametrically opposed to this of course you have the words of the Lord. He said take and eat. He was not addressing his father in heaven in sacrificial terms. He was talking to the believers, the apostles. He did not say offer and propitiate. He said simply take and eat. Continue Rome's official word where I have here in dark prince. Consequently, the Eucharistic sacrifice is the source and summit of the whole Catholic worship and of the Christian life the faith will participate more fully in this sacrament of thanksgiving, petition and praise, not only when they wholeheartedly offer the sacred victim, and in it, themselves to the Father with the priest, but when they receive this same victim sacramentally. So, they, like the priest, are offering what? A victim. They have a victim on their altar and they're offering a victim. We have people offering Christ. Which is absolutely blasphemous. He by himself forged the sins. He alone offered himself. He was the spotless one to offer himself. There's nobody else worthy to offer him. And then he never was a victim and is not now a victim. So it's, uh, he never was a victim and never will be a victim and never is not presently a victim look at some of the words I give some of the words and these are very hard for me to say because for many years I said these in Latin and then in English in the exact words giving Eucharistic prayer number 3 it's at the end of page 8 I used to pray look with favor on your church's offering and see the victim whose death has reconciled us to yourself now we had actions to go with that and as I said those words look with victim I would do this pointing to the bread, that this was the victim. Just as later on I held up and said, behold the Lamb of God. I was showing the victim. And that is how horrendous this teaching is. And how sacrilegious it is to say that you have this day, this morning, on this altar, here, in this city, a victim who is Christ Jesus. Rome continues to repeat this commandment of offering oneself, and this is the dramatization of the works gospel. Therefore, the Eucharistic celebration on top of page 9 is the center of the assembly of the faithful over which the priest presides. Hence, priests teach the faithful to offer the divine victim to God the Father in the sacrifice of the mass and wait the victim to make an offering of their whole life you offer your blood with his blood I remember I said that to people you offer your pain I remember kneeling beside cancer patients even when they're dying is they said offer your pain with Jesus pain so that you can merit how how loathsome that I was teaching what I was told to teach that you are to offer yourself a dramatization of Satan's message to claim this what they say in this passage is to negate scripture what do they say let us read these exact words this divine self Sacrifice which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and is offered in a non bloody manner. The same three things here Christ, that the sacrifice is offered, that is the second one. First, it's contained that Christ is physically present, and then the third thing is that it's an, in a non-bloody manner. Looking at the first one, is he contained physically? Scripture says, Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are a figure of what is to come into heaven. himself. Christ physically is in heaven. When he comes back, all eyes will see him. It will be like the lightning from east to the west. Every eye will behold him. He is now physically in heaven to say that he is in something made with hands is blasphemous and idolatrous and that is the exact thing that they say in in the actual service of the mass they say made with human hands as the offer tree the bread into which they say Christ has come he is not in the secret places as he said himself, warning us if somebody says, I'm in the secret chambers, that he is not. He shall come back in glory when he does come back physically. The word declares seven times there is now no more offering because Onkazi was once and for all time. And for anybody to deem that they could offer him is. Absolute pride and arrogance before the all holy God. On page 10, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty and High, quoting from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Measured in biblical terms, the worship of God is in this way absolutely contrary to what. God says it is speaking against what God says. Who need it not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice. The very thing that scripture says we do not need, priest is told to offer up daily the sacrifice of the cross. And to say that he is contained or he is offered or that it is in a non-bloody manner. A non-bloody manner is a, a good example of an oxymoron, a contradiction in terms. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. We cannot define sacrifice without the shedding of blood. So to say, we have a we have a sacrifice, and it's not bloody. It's not well. Then it's not a sacrifice. Scripturally, we do not have a sacrifice. So we have. A contradiction, even in the very words of Rome. Now this is a hard bit and I really ask you to stomach this because and to say so that you can have compassion for those inside Rome. What Rome says, we have inside Catholicism some orders, like some sisters of perpetual adoration. You know, there's different orders of nuns. Some of the nuns are to worship the bread on rote system around the clock 24 hours where they have always some nuns before the bread worshipping the bread it's called the Sisters of Perpetual Adoration whereby they're continually worshipping the bread and all Catholics are supposed to worship the bread literally as God and we read this in their own words this is taken again from their Vatican II documents there should be no doubt in anyone's mind that all the faithful must show to this most holy sacrament the worship which is due to the true God has always been the custom of the Catholic Church nor is it to be adored any the less because it was instituted by Christ to be eaten. Even though it was instituted to go into your stomach and to be consumed it is not to be worshipped any the less. You are to worship the element. Worship the bread. And that is gross idolatry. I have in my own life for over 40 years gone down and bowed to the bread. The reason why Ridley and Latimer would not bow to the host, why they went to the stake at Smithfield and were burnt, was because they would not bow to the bread. And that's why we had the people knowing that the sign, the 666, went with the Passover in the Old Testament and with the Lord's table in the New Testament They did not want to take any mark upon themselves. You see that? You read the prophetic faith of our fathers, the history of prophecy. That's the way... Bible believer stood in the Inquisition and would not bow to the image the image was always the image was always the bread and that's the whole story in itself but the bowing down to the image thou shalt worship the Lord and him only shalt thou serve I quote that on the top of page 11 we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And this is a dreadful crime of idolatry. The actual words of scripture in their context. Christ said, take, eat this. This is a demonstrative pronoun. And what does it refer to? It refers to the bread. As often as you eat this bread, woe shall eat this bread? The same words after the words of institution, it's the same Substance. So in the actual words we're told that this is the bread. It is not called the body of Christ after the words of the institution, it still is the bread. That's just going from the text itself. As often as you eat this bread, you show forth the Lord until he comes. It's the same with the wine, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. The Lord is saying the same thing about the wine that it still is wine, and of course it was not that He had His body in His fingertips. You know, is, the thing is ludicrous that He would have been holding Himself up between His fingertips or handing it in His hand. Uh, it just cannot be physical, uh, Lord, because it is in sign that He is giving us the typification of his body and of his blood. So nothing else can be taken from the words itself. Rome applies her false teaching, and here we've got to read these things with some agony. The New Catechism, which is, Pastoral to get Roman Catholics to live Catholicism, says things like this, Holy Communion separates us from sin. The body of Christ we received in communion and given up for us so the be blood which he brings shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. They look to the element itself as separating. They look to the material thing. The priest is to bring it to their house. you are to give it to the dying. And so they look onto the bread for life. And this is really sad. It's the exact same sin that Aaron fell into where he said, they, These shall be your gods, O Israel. And they looked at the golden calf. You're looking to another, you're looking to something as substitution of being a medium for God. But we have only one mediator, and that is Christ Jesus, and now he's in the heaven. So the priests, Geniflex, were told, in the actual words of the Mass in page 11 these are actual words from the instruction in the saying of the Mass holds the host elevated slightly above the path and the priest says this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world holding up the bread to say this is the Lamb of God and so what is proclaimed to be Christ is a piece of bread that is absolute deception and that's what millions a million, a million sixty million 60 million here in the United States. That's a huge number. Over 1 billion worldwide. Of course, not that many practice. In the West Indies, we had sometimes between 5 and 10 percent practicing. A lot of it is only on the books, but it's still a, a huge number of people. But people who are in growth in a strange doctrine and strange teaching which is teaching the message of Satan and then a dramatization by which you get into gross idolatry. The Catholics say the Eucharist preserves some future mortal sins again looking to the bread and they talk about the sacraments are powers that come forth from the body of Christ. They look at the powers that are in there as, if, as they, if they were efficient causes of God's dealing with mankind. And we will see tomorrow morning in the Bible study that we do or this, in dealing with Catholicism where they say priests have received the power from God that he gave neither to angels or archangels. So priests are supposed to have power because they can bring Christ physically down on the altar and many other things which they allege which are outright lies but this is where Catholics live and if this does not touch you to evangelize I do not know what would now to come back to the reality where we be bathed in the word of communion through faith what, what the new covenant really is so we come back now in this center section page 12 communion that is spiritual through faith as we saw earlier on intimate fellowship with the Lord is in a spiritual sense communion is the very heart of the message of the biblical text the believer's faith is focused spiritually on him in the heavenly for now we receive not not the spirit of the world but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us. And the apostle continues there in 1 Corinthians, which things we speak, not in words of man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Only the mind of God can be given as we compare spiritual things with spiritual things it's the spirit that reveals the deep things of God to us that we worship him in spirit and in truth and relying on this same Holy Spirit we take these very texts before him now that Christ told us in John chapter 6 that the believer is to desire for the meat that does not perish, but endures to everlasting life. We are to desire that. Now, there is a differentiation which I make, and I think it's important to see, between John 6 and the Lord's table. John chapter 6 is an evangelistic message to unsaved Jews. And therefore, it is quite dissimilar. It is a message to believe on him. It's an evangelistic message to believe on him if you if you believe on him you will never thirst again your hunger will be satisfied that is the theme of John 6 and in that way it's very different than the sanctification message at the Lord's table but there is a similarity that we cannot write aside and whereby we can take in a secondary way John 6 as sanctification whereby we can say that he is the bread of life and we do not hunger when we desire to be filled with him that he that believes on him has everlasting life and we know that to be scripturally true in the first place as we believe by grace through faith but in the secondary way When we desire, with desire to have fellowship with him at his table, we can draw life from him and drink deeply from him and be again filled up with him with the absolute fullness that we desire as he gives unto us and we drink deeply of his spirit. In the communion that we have. So the, the differentiation is that we are desiring with desire. And applying these John 6 spiritually to the Lord's table. That we would participate in his table with him as he has given it to us with equal words of desire we do it in the one mediator and knowing where he is positioned in the heavenly it is of utmost importance that we see this spiritually as I declare it's not anything that could anyway be any way physical but it is desire with him as we have access, And this is the, on the last page, whereby we have now access, as it says there in Romans 5, verse 2. It's by faith. The scripture always says we have access by faith. It's by a spiritual communication with him as he is in the heavenly, that we can come into communion with him. But I plead with you that we see just what the Lord has given to us. The pledge that he has given to us. The title deed. The assurance. I was confirmed with a note. The sign of the new covenant. Is this meal that he has left to us and that we should take our time as we celebrate it so that there is real fellowship with the Lord. And how, I ask you, can we have any fellowship with believers if we have not communed with the Lord? If we have not drunk deeply of Him, how can we ever fellowship about Him with others if we have not drunk deeply with Him. And this is the time and the place to drink deeply. It's not that we do not drink deeply of communion with the Lord day by day. Praise God we do. That is eternal life and that's the daily walk and fellowship we have with Him. But we have a commemorative New Testament meal that is specifically given for fellowship. Specifically given in animesis that we would draw forth the benefit and I would love in our churches that we would have testimony given of how people have drunk deeply whereby you have taken at fellowship meals explicitly certain things before the Lord in this particular fellowship meal And that you have seen explicit, detailed answer afterwards as you had fellowship with the Lord. To see that this New Testament covenant meal that we have, that is the sign of the New, is reality, is a real spiritual encounter with the Lord. And that we have the fullness, of what it is to be reformed and reforming we have the fullness of what the Lord has given to us and that we praise him for what he has left to us as our title being and so my last prayer is that prayer in Ephesians 3 that he would give us the length and breadth the height and the depth of desire and longing that we could be fulfilled in Him who fulfills all things. Father, we just praise you. Father, we praise you for the awesomeness of who you are. We praise you for your awesome holiness and for the righteousness of Christ that you cover us with, so that you would be justified and that we, justified in Him, could have communion with you and Father we thank you for the communion meal Father give us an awesome holy expectancy as we come to the meal the fellowship with Christ and to Lord deeply and so that scripture would be fulfilled in our own lives that we would proclaim him with joy in our hearts that he would be glorified in us to proclaim with joy the benefits and to proclaim his gospel unto others with a radiance, just as the sun shines, just as flowers give off fragrance, so that your Christian, Father, could blossom with the glory of the Lord to proclaim his death until he comes. Father, let this be because of who he is. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name.
1: Permission is given to copy this tape once it is done in its entirety. If you wish to contact Richard Bennett, you can write to P.O. Box 395 Renonia, Oregon 97064 or by email Bennett at integrityonline.com Integrity Online is I-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-Y-O-N-L-I-N-E One word. Thank you for listening. May the riches of the Lord's grace be with you. containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 450